just know you're not alone Cause I'm gonna make this place your home What up, Rocky Peak? How y'all feeling tonight? That's so bomb. Hey, uh, welcome home. We are in a series called Welcome Home. Turn to your neighbor and say, welcome home. Uh, You know, because this is not just, you know, the people that are sitting next to you, they're not just like classmates or teammates or just, you know, guests that are next to you. No, that is your family. My prayer, my hope is by the end of the night that you'll be so close, you'll be sharing straws. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm a germaphobe, never mind. Or sharing a cup, or, you know, uh, sharing a burger, like, at least if you cut it in half, and then you can share it. Maybe that's better. So, yeah, so that, you know, the people next to you are just our family. You know, you just don't want to look at them as someone that you just see once a week, but somebody that you think about, pray about, pray for, get each other's phone numbers, get on a group chat, a, another group chat, and, you know... Pray for each other or text one another once a week or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but don't wait for a ministry to create a program in order to keep you guys connected because you guys can stay connected right now. Don't wait for the next mini golf. Just hang out on a Wednesday or serve on a, a service team or something like that. But yeah, we want you to know that this is a home and this is a place where you can belong whether or not you believe the things we believe. And that, and, and that you would walk out of here with more Jesus. And what that means at least to me lately, I've been, um, my prayer has been, I want to go to sleep more in love with Jesus than when I woke up. And, and I think tonight's an opportunity for that. And, uh, and tonight's such a great opportunity for that because I made sure that we are going to have the lesson of your dreams so that you'll go to sleep literally thinking of tonight's lesson. And the way I did that is that I called up one of my good friends and somebody that you might be familiar with too, and I asked him to share from God's word what God has been teaching him and what, what you know he thinks is powerful for us in this uh, series that's called Welcome Home. So would you give a nice, warm, family welcome, standing ovation to to my friend and yours, Mr. Christopher Wozniki. All right, it is. Uh, it's good to be back. It's been a while um, since I've been here. As some of you know, I uh, uh, I was on staff before, but last summer I stepped down from my position uh, because I needed to focus a little bit more on uh, working on my PhD. Um, in theology, so still learning about God's word every week. Uh, anyway, so let me just start out with a statement. All right, family stuff sucks. Family stuff sucks. All right, let me just make myself clear. Right, like I don't think actual family sucks. Right, because I have a family. I have a wife. I have a baby. Um, obviously, I came from a family. Who here came from a family? Good, good. Just odd. Who, who said not me? You? Okay, good, good, good. I want to talk to you after. Just let you know how, how things sort of work uh, in life. Um, anyway, so family stuff sucks, right? Jim Gaffigan, you know the Hot Pockets guy. You know Hot Pockets guy? Yeah, Jim Gaffigan. He points this out. He says basically, like, you add the word family to anything, and it automatically becomes, like, ten times worse. Right? Think about this. Restaurants. Restaurants are awesome, right? First off, restaurant has the word rest, 
which who doesn't like naps? Who doesn't like resting? That's like awesome, right? And it has the word aurant, which is Latin for amazing. You can, you can Google that. All right? No, that's not true. Uh, but, but really, like restaurants are awesome. They have food. Like what else could be better than food? But if you put the word family in front of restaurant, like automatically like the excitement level goes down like 10 notches, right? Because what kind of food do they serve? At family restaurants, maybe chicken tenders, some cold french fries, maybe a really nasty pizza. It's like nobody ever gets excited about going to a family restaurant. Maybe like an awesome new cafe or like uh, a really cool sushi place, but not a family restaurant. right? Okay, think about another sort of family thing. right? Family fun. What does family fun mean? It means fun for everybody. For everybody under five years old and nobody else. That's what family fun actually means, right? Chuck E. Cheese, family fun. Do you see adults lining up at Chuck E. Cheese? And if they are, there's probably something, something wrong going on there, right? Um, or, or, okay, family reunions, family portraits, family matters. You know, that, that's not that bad, right? Uh, Steve Urkel, maybe that's too, too. Nick at Night or something. Do they still have Nick at Night? I don't even know. Anyway, let me be, let me be real for a second. Like, some of those misconceptions, they change when you actually like, have a baby. Like, chicken tenders become awesome. Like, I love chicken tenders now. Um, family television. Like, I love watching PBS. My little daughter loves watching this show called Daniel Tiger, which I think is just awesome. Like, I could watch that all day long. So family stuff doesn't have to be that bad, right? And I know, I know for some people, the word family actually um, isn't a good thing. Like, a lot of bad memories and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt uh, come when you think about family. But uh, for others in this room, the word family just brings actual, like, good memories. Like, you think of family vacations, like the holidays. Maybe you think of, like, um, just, like, words like acceptance or being loved or just, like, a safe place. Like, for some of you, family was, like, a really awesome thing. Family was a place where you could let your guard down, right? And just be loved for who you actually were without having to perform. All right, and here, here's what I want you to understand. That this group of people here, right, this community we call YA, whether you're, you've been here a long time, whether you're newer, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not... Like, you are invited to be a part of this family. And yeah, this family's broken, it's messed up, it's sinful, it has its quirks, right? And it's not perfect. But we believe that this is a place where just like family, you should be able to come here and be loved unconditionally, all right? And the fact is, like, that's not the case because we're amazing at being family, it's because of something that God has done. And we're going to look at what that thing is tonight. So if you have uh, your Bibles, go ahead um, and open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray before we start. Father God, we just thank you uh, that we get to open up your word uh, on another Sunday night, Lord, that uh, you get to speak to us through it, Lord, that you get to challenge us, that you get to encourage us, Lord, that you get to begin to shape and mold us and transform us into the family that you want us to be, 
Lord, into the type of home that you want this place to be for people. Lord, so I pray that tonight, as we look at your word, God, as we talk about being a home, as we talk about being a family, Lord, that we would actually begin to live that out, God, for your sake and for your glory, but also for the sake of the world. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Ephesians chapter 2. In my opinion, Ephesians chapter 2 is one of the most beautiful passages in the entire Bible. It paints this picture of just grace, uh, kindness, unrelenting love. It shows us a God who pursues the people that he loves. It's one of those chapters that, honestly, I feel like you can always run back to if you're questioning the way God feels about you. Because it shows us how great a length Jesus went. He gave his life for us. It shows us that God loved you, that God had his eye on you even before he created the entire universe, right? That's, that's when he loved you from, right? So Paul's writing this to uh, the church in the city of Ephesus. Uh, it's, in, it's in Greece. So in this part, chapter two, he tackles two subjects and they seem sort of unrelated, but they're not, right? And here's, here's what he says. He says, you used to be like this, right? These things were true of you before, but now this is what's true of you. Right? And he, comes, he, he just literally just comes out of the gate swinging and he says, this is what was true of you before. You were dead. Like you were dead. Not alive, not breathing. In your sins, in your failures, you were dead. You were slaves. You're actually objects of God's righteous judgment. Right? That's because you chose to do your own thing. You chose to follow your own way. As uh, Pastor Mike Yearly often says, you committed high treason against the king. Right, so in his justice, God has every right to judge. Right? And we deserved that judgment. But, and this is really important, okay? When you see, when you see a but in the Bible, uh, it's usually important. So you have to like, look back at it, okay? You need to just like, focus in and see what that but is actually doing there. Because it usually like, is a transition. Right? And he says, but... This is no longer true. Right? You were slaves, uh, objects of wrath, but in his mercy, he reached down, he grabbed you, right? pulled you back up from the dead, and made you alive in Christ. And that was all an act of grace. Not because of anything that you've done, not because you were so perfect, not because you were so religious, because you were so spiritual, because uh, you, you were really good at reading your Bible, or you really cared about social justice and all that. None of that was the reason that God did that. God did that purely out of his own grace and mercy for you. Right? Not only did he just pick us up from the dead, right? he actually raised us up to be seated with Christ. That's what Ephesians 2 says. In his incomparable grace, God did everything to take us from being dead to lift us up all the way with Christ. And what's amazing is that Paul just doesn't doesn't just end it there, right? Because that would be like, that would just be like a vertical gospel, right? God does something to you. You're saved now. Your sins are forgiven. Like, now you can have right relationship with God. And that would be, that's awesome, Right? But the fact is, the gospel isn't just vertical. Right? It's horizontal. Right? It's not just you and God. It's you and other people. Right? And here's the truth. That God didn't just die to forgive your sins. God died to create a family 
and to invite you into it. All right? He didn't just die to take away your sins. He died to create a family. Right? So the gospel declares two things. One, you're made right vertically with God. And two, you're a part of a family. It's, it's vertical and horizontal. Right? So that's where we find ourselves today. Let's take a look at Ephesians 2.19. 2.19, that's what we're, we're going to be reading. Um, but first, uh, question, what does your family look like? My family growing up was my mom, my aunt, my grandma, uh, and my dog. That was what my family was growing up. Um, I don't know what your family looked like. Maybe you were the standard two parents, 2.5 kids kind of family. Maybe you were adopted. Uh, maybe you had step-parents or a single parent. All these families look different, right? And YA is a family. So what does that family look like? Well, Ephesians 2 tells us. Isn't it crazy that like the Bible that was written 2,000 years ago can tell us what this family looks like? That's cool. Okay, uh, 2.19. And it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. Fellow citizens with God's people. All right, here's the first thing that we know about this family that God created. It's that you are citizens of God's kingdom. Right? In ancient Rome, uh, citizenship was actually a really big deal, much like it is here in the U.S. I remember when my mom, uh, she became an American citizen, and it was a huge deal, because as a citizen, you have certain rights and privileges that other people don't have. So it's a really big gift to be able to call yourself, especially in the U.S., a citizen of the United States. Similarly with Rome, right? In the ancient world, if you were not a citizen, right, you weren't a part of like the in-group, right? People assumed the worst of you. They assumed that you were just literally sucking out all of the resources from the empire, right? That was ancient Rome. So as a citizen, you knew that you belonged. And if you weren't a citizen, you knew that you didn't belong here. Have you ever been to a place where you felt like you didn't belong? I remember this was... Um, Man, that was about 10 years ago. I, I, so I went to UCLA for my undergrad, and I was a commuter student. And um, because I was a commuter student, I didn't have like, a lot of friends on campus. Um, so that meant that I would go to football games often, uh, alone. You, you can say, aw. Um, and when I did go with people, um, my friends were all really nerdy. And um, so like, they were the kind of friends that would come to the football game with like a book, and like they would read during the entire game. It's like, why are you even coming? At least somebody's with me. Um, anyway, so, so I was at this game. I went to the UCLA-USC football game uh, by myself uh, as a bro and wearing my, my UCLA jersey at the Coliseum. All right? So, big rivalry game. This was a big mistake. Um, it was a big mistake walking into that place, right? But what ended up happening is UCLA ends up doing like a last minute sort of like thing. Uh, it was just a, an amazing turnaround and they end up winning the game and I'm like pumped and I'm like just ready to like start high-fiving people and I'm like yelling and jumping and then I realize like, okay, I'm, I'm in a crowd of red. This is like a sea of red and I'm like a little blue speck in like a coliseum of 100,000 people, Right? Uh, so, whatever, we win, I start walking out, the crowd's like deflated, 
I'm like going through the parking lot and people are like yelling at me, jeering, uh, jeering me. Uh, I got jumped. I didn't get jumped. Um, but you would expect that from a Trojan. Um, so, so I, uh, so, but I'm like, I don't care. Like, I'm just going to walk to my car. Like, what are you going to do about it? Like, we won. So, I was in enemy territory. I really felt like I didn't belong. Like, I wasn't wanted there. Sometimes that can happen at church, too. Even though people aren't intentionally, like, booing you or yelling at you or trying to beat you up. Like, you can feel like you can walk into a church and, like, I don't actually belong here. Right? This, this happened to me uh, a few years ago. I walked into a Greek Orthodox church. Um, and don't get me wrong, like, I love the Orthodox. I love the Greek. I love Greek yogurt. I love Greek things. So, um... So I walk into this church, and it's just so different from a setting like this, right? There, all the people there were Greek. I'm like the only Hispanic dude in there. Um, more importantly, people knew what was going on in the service. Like, they have all these rites and rituals. Some dude comes walking up the aisle with incense, and, like, they're singing these songs in another language. I don't know, and people are sitting and standing, and I don't know what, when to do what. Right? And no matter how nice they tried to be, and they tried to be really nice to me, the fact is, like, I felt like an outsider in that church. Right? And some of you here may have walked in to YA for the first time last week because you came to the hoedown. Right? And maybe you felt like, I don't have a clue what's going on here. Right? People are singing these songs. Right? Uh, people have these Bibles, and they all know where to turn to when the preacher says, turn to blah, blah, blah page, right? And it's like, I don't even have a Bible. Like, I don't even know anyone here, right? You feel like an outsider. But the point Paul is making, and this is the second part of your point, is that in this family, we are citizens of the kingdom, and there are no outsiders. See, Paul, he's using this, this metaphor of citizens and aliens, to show the fact that in this family, there are no insiders, there are no outsiders. Right? Usually you feel that way when we're with people that are different than us. Maybe we feel like outsiders when we go to a group of people who uh, speak a different language, maybe they're a different culture, maybe they're into uh, different sort of things that we are. And usually um, when that happens is a certain group of people who tend to be really similar tend to sort of like congregate together, right? They tend to sort of like flock together. And they don't do that intentionally usually, right? But it's just what humans do. We tend to like people that are like us. That's probably why it's called like. Um, But, that was dumb. Okay, but uh, in this family, right, that's not the way things go, right? When Jesus died to make a new family, He died to make a family that includes all kinds of people, right? People from all different sorts of backgrounds, life backgrounds, professions, cultures, races, languages. That's the kind of family that he wants, right? It means that in that family, not everybody looks the same. Not everybody thinks the same. Not everybody likes the same stuff. Because if we ended up with a family like that, you know what that would mean? It would mean that we have unintentionally built-in rules about what it means to be an insider and an outsider. But God values diversity. God values difference. And he wants a family like that. So in our PYA, 
this family, this home, it's supposed to be a family where there are no outsiders, there are no insiders. I love the way that the message version of the Bible puts it. It says that you are no longer strangers and outsiders. You belong here. You belong here. All right, let's keep going. Verse 19, let's finish that verse off. Uh, So he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Again, I I usually don't quote the message all that much, um, but just the way Eugene Peterson translated this, uh, it was just really awesome. So he says, in this part, he says, God is building a home. He's not building a house. He's building a home. And you know what makes a home a home and not a house? What makes a home a home? A family, yes. Right, God's building a family. Right, we have the same father and different mothers. That sounds weird. But it's true, right? (laughs) Different mothers, same father, right? Biologically, we all come from different families, right? But the fact is that when you come into this family, right, God the Father is now your father. Right. Some of you come, obviously, you come from, some of you come from different biological families. Most of you come from different uh, biological families. And for some of you, there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. Right? Some of you wish, like, I wish I was part of a different family. Right? But the fact is, who your family is, is actually a part of your identity, for better or for worse. Right? But the, the good news is that, at the end of the day, that's not the truest part of your identity, the truest part of your identity is that you belong to the family of God. Right? So if you want to know what your identity is like, you need to know what your family's like. And that starts with knowing what your father is like. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, he, he has this book on uh, the prodigal son. Right? Kelly preached about the prodigal son last week. Uh, and this story shows us what God is like. Right? If, how many of you were here last week? Okay, so you probably remember most of uh, the story of the prodigal son. Uh, but if you weren't here last week, let me just recap it for you, right, real quick. So there's this son who, um, who comes to his dad, and basically he's like, hey, dad, and like, I wish you were dead uh, so I can get all of your money, right? So this, the father ends up giving him uh, his inheritance. The young brother goes off, and he spends all of his money on really stupid things. He's partying, doing all that sort of stuff. Famine strikes the land, uh, and now he's, like, starving, because he's run out of all of his money, right? And he, he thinks, like, man, like, what can I do? Like, maybe I can go back home, and I can be one of my dad's servants. Like, that's better than starving to death out here. And then he thinks, like, no, like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm going to do that. Like, I'm going to run back home, and I'm going to, like, beg, beg the, my dad, and I'm going to say, dad, like, I've messed up. Like, there's no reason you should forgive me. Like, just make me a servant of yours. Like, I'll, I'll do the work in the house. Like, just, I don't even deserve to be called your son anymore. Just make me a servant. And remember what happens when the son gets there? Yeah, the father isn't just standing there waiting on the porch, all impatient, just like tapping his toe, and he's like, where's this stupid kid? Like, oh, okay, he's coming? Like, how dare he come back here and beg for forgiveness? This son better get on his knees and beg. No, that's not what he does, right? The father runs out to this kid, Right? Before, before he like barely even sees him, he's running 
out there, ready to hug him, to kiss him, to give him uh, his coat, to throw a party for him. He's like ready to show his son love even before his son has a chance to repent. So in the story, there's also the bad son. I mean, that, that was a bad son. There's also the good son, right? The son who does all the right things, um, who tries to like please his dad because he wants something from him, not because he actually loves his dad. And this story shows us all kinds of things about the gospel and how, um, how even like reckless living for one's pleasure or like self-righteousness, both of those things are not the way to go. And that how God still like loves the self-righteous person. He loves a reckless sinner and how he pursues both kinds of people, right? The religious churchy people and the quote sinners, right? God loves both kinds of people. But that's, that's not what I want to tell you about today. Like, I want to tell you about the Father. Tim Keller, the pastor in New York, he points out the fact that the word prodigal doesn't mean what we usually tend to think it means, right? Like, we tend to think prodigal means, like, bad or, like, evil or, like, um, somebody who's, like, foolish or something like that, right? It actually means that you are reckless with how you spend your money, it means that you spend till you have nothing left, which makes sense about the, the prodigal son, right? Like, he spends all of his money on these things. Like, he's reckless with his money. But Tim Keller points out the fact that this word prodigal actually fits the father really well, also. Because the father has a reckless generosity. He gives all to his son. He says, all that I have is yours, right? This is a prodigal Father, right? You could, you could say it's a story of the prodigal son, or you could say it's a story of a prodigal God, right? The father welcomes the repentant son, right? He welcomes the one who is unrepentant, who is self-righteous, right? And this is something that Paul's reminding of us, uh, reminding us in Ephesians 2. He tells us that God is a prodigal God. Look at Ephesians 2, 6. Ephesians 2, verse 6 says, it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. All right, and get, catch, catch this part. Prodigal God. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Right, that's what God wants to do. He's not a stingy God, sort of giving grace, kind of withholding grace. Right? He is a prodigal God, a generous God. He wants to pour out grace on you. Right? That's God's heart. He wants to lavish grace on you. And that grace does not run out. You fall, you do something wrong, right? you fall back into sin, and you act ashamed like the, the, the younger brother in the story, and God still is pursuing you. He's still running after you. Right? Or you act like the older brother, self-righteous, Right, thinking that you've got all your stuff together, right? Trying to earn your salvation or to control God by doing all the right things. Guess what? God is still pursuing you. He's still running after you. He's still saying that I love you even though you do these things. You don't need to do these things to have my love. So we have a father who lavishes his love, he lavishes his grace on us, right? And as a part of this family, what we're called to do is to do that same thing for other people. 
We're supposed to act like our Father. We're supposed to have hearts that just lavish grace upon others. And this is so important in life group. Because when you're doing life group, like, you're going to be with people that, to, to be blunt, like, they bug you. You don't like them. Right? But, but what does God call you to do? Right? He calls you to show grace. Right? In life group, there's going to be friction. People are going to hurt you. Right? People are going to offend you. You might get into conflict with people. And what are you supposed to do with that? You're supposed to be like your Heavenly Father and show grace for those people. What would it look like if you were just to lavish grace upon people? Not just in your life group, right? But what about the people in your life around you? People who aren't Christians, right? When you show mercy, when you show forgiveness, you're actually giving them a glimpse of the Father's heart for them. Right? And that's something that they might not have experienced before. Right? Just somebody who forgives, somebody who doesn't hold grudges. What even is that? That's grace. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. So it says, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, i.e. the scriptures, with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Again, I'm going to quote the message version. It's going to be up on the screen. And the message says, it says that God is building a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Isn't that good? In which God is quite at home. That means that he feels comfortable here. This is his home. He wants to be here. This is a place that he wants to be. Do you see what God, what God, what God actually and Paul are getting at here? He's saying that this is God's home, right? It's not some ancient temple, right? It's not a fancy church building. It's not even a service that happens 7.30 to 9 o'clock on Sunday nights. What Paul is saying is that God's dwelling place is where we are being built together. It's where this family gathers together under the word and to see Christ. That's the place where God dwells. When you're coming together, when you're pursuing what God has for us in the Bible, when you're pursuing Christ, all of that leads to being built together into greater and tighter intimacy. You're being built together like bricks laid upon one another into a home. That's the metaphor that Paul's using here. Like you have the scriptures, you have the prophets, and then you have Christ, and these all these things are building together in you so that you can become God's home. Right? God dwells in this community, not in the service, not even in a life group study. Right? He dwells in the community. What that means is, practically, that we're God's home and we should expect him to show up. We should expect to meet him here. Right? Every Sunday night, expect him to meet him here. 
So uh, a while ago, I was driving back home from the beach, um, and I, I got off uh, the 101 at Topanga, because I live off of uh, Topanga, basically. Um, and you know how, like, there's a merge there? Like, you're getting off the 101, and it's a merge. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's not like a stop sign. Like, it's not a stop sign. It's a merge, which means don't stop. Um, so I'm driving fast, because I'm late for something. Um, and this guy in front of me, like, I don't know who he is, but... Uh, this guy in front of me, he's driving like 40 miles an hour about to get off the freeway and I'm late for something. So I'm getting really angry and I'm pissed and I'll be honest, like I'm an angry driver um, and so I don't have Christian like bumper stickers or whatever on my car because I don't want anybody to know that I'm a Christian uh, when I'm driving. Uh, other times, yeah, like share the gospel and stuff. When I'm driving, um, I'll put on like, never mind, some other, some other religious sticker on my car. I give him a bad name. Um, anyway, so like, uh, so I'm like driving, um, like, like this, like just driving uh, all crazy. Um, so I'm driving and I'm like tailgating this guy and I'm like slamming my, my, um, steering wheel and I'm like throwing my hands up and like yelling. Um, not because I was actually like mad, but I wanted him to know that he needs to get out of my way. Um, so, so I'm like getting off his exit. Right. And in my mind, I think like, this guy's going so slow. Like, he better not stop. This is a merge, not a stop sign. I'm like, this guy, like, I, I can already feel it. Like, he's going to cause an accident. Right? He's going to stop, and I'm going to totally hit him. Uh, so he slows down, and I'm like, okay, this is it. Like, I'm going to hit him. So he slows down, and then he speeds up, and I'm like, okay, good. Like, he understood. It's a merge. So I speed up, and he slams on the brakes. I run into Grandpa... And his brand new Cadillac still has a dealer license plates on it. Whole time I was expecting a crash. It was okay. Grandpa was like, oh, it's my fault. We don't need to exchange insurance. I'm like, great. <laughs> um, so this whole time I was expecting a crash, which you're probably thinking like, well, if you were expecting a crash, why didn't you like slow down or like stop tailgating him? Okay, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, so, so I, I hit him, and I was expecting it the whole time. And that's what we should be like when we come to Soma. Not like expecting it to like crash and burn or anything like that, um, or like a disaster to happen every week. Uh, but every time we come together, right, like we're supposed to be expectant that something's going to happen, right? And that thing is that we're going to meet God, right? We're going to encounter him here. His presence is going to be here because... He's pleased to call this his home because he's comfortable here, because he likes to dwell here, right? Because God feels quite at home, as the message says, when he's here with us. So what happens when God comes home? What happens when God comes home? Right? He starts to do things, right? He sets people free from their hurts. He sets people free from their baggage, right? He begins uh, to, to lift people up when they're down, right? He teaches you, he shapes you, he transforms you, he molds you when the word is preached in his home, right? He pours out his love for you and his grace. How many of you have ever come to a Sunday night and you feel like crap, right? And you just start singing and you let the worship just wash over you and all of a sudden, like, your spirit just lifts up. That's not because the band is so awesome, which it is, right? But that's because God's spirit is at home here and he likes to work in his home, right? There's a song 
uh, that says that like when God walks into the room, right, darkness starts to tremble, sickness vanishes, right, every hopeless situation starts to ex- ceases to exist, and God raises the dead. That's what He does, week in, week out, guaranteed, because He wants to. Right, so are you expecting that? Right, when you come to YA, is there a buzz like, oh my gosh, like what's gonna, what's God gonna do this week? Like, what's he going to teach me? Right? How is he going to speak to me? Right? How is he going to speak to my neighbor? Because right? you know God's going to do something. Are you excited because you get to meet him here? Right? That's the kind of home that God wants. Um, so I have a, a little over a year and a half daughter. And um, basically every time I come home, uh, from school, like, she, like, I don't know, she, like, hears a door or whatever, and, like, she, she could be doing, like, literally anything, uh, and she'll, like, just drop it and, like, run the second I get home, and she'll, like, it's cute, like, she'll run, like, and then she'll, because she likes to get kisses on the forehead, so she'll run, and she'll be, like, whoop, and then, like, and then, like, go back to, like, playing, but, like, every time, it's, like, oh, man, like, dad's coming home, our fa- my father is here. Right? Is that how we treat these gatherings? We're just running, just waiting, seeing what God's going to be up to. Right, so are we going to be that kind of home? Are we going to be the kind of home in which there are no outsiders? Or are we going to be a home where there's the people who are the insiders and the people who are the outsiders? And are we going to be the kind of home that you can come and give and get grace. Because you know there are people who are ashamed of their sin, and they're not willing to talk about it. Right? They might not even be willing to walk in through these doors because they are afraid of getting judged and being looked down upon. But if this place becomes a kind of place that shows grace, people won't be afraid to come here. Right? They'll want to come in through these doors because they know that they'll get grace not just from people, not just like theoretically from God who like forgives, but they'll actually experience grace in a tangible way. All right, so you, you guys have the power to become that kind of home. Why do you have that power? It's not because you're awesome. Right? It's because God has created this family himself. God has already made you that kind of home. So are you going to live into it? Let's go ahead and pray as the band comes up. Father God, we thank you just first off just for the grace that you pour out on us. Lord, that we know that when we fall, when we struggle, when we turn our backs on you, God, that you just give us grace, Lord, that no matter how many times we fall, we often fall into the same things over and over, God, that you continue to give us grace over and over and over. Lord, we want to be a community that's like that. God, we also want to be a community that that expects you. Right? God, we want to expect you. And in this time of worship, we want to expect you, God. We want to see what you're going to do with us and in us and through us. Lord, we want to meet with you because you are awesome. God, because you are good. We're excited just to see you come in. Lord, you don't even have to do anything. Just the fact that you're here with us is more than enough. Lord, so right now in this time that we worship you, 
we ask that you would meet us. Pray this in Jesus' name.